Hey guys, this is producer Zach giving you a little heads up that the pod this week is actually a sermon Dave preached at Generation Church in South Oceanside earlier this year. Hope you enjoy. It is a privilege to, to be with you. Uh, my, my church in San Juan Capistrano um, is without a building, is in a search for a home, and so we've been online for more months than I care to remember, so just to be able to worship with God's people and hear you guys singing together is, is just something very precious to me. So thank you for having me. If you do have a Bible, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1. We're going all the way back, and we're going to start at the beginning. I'm going to read the whole chapter of Genesis, exactly. If you know your Bibles, that's a big ask. Uh, but, you know, it's church. This is what we're supposed to do. Um, and because it is long, I'm just going to ask you to sort of, you know, be comfortable where you're at. Maybe take a big breath. And I'm going to ask you to, you don't have to, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes while I read it and try to picture what I'm saying, what I'm reading, and see what images or what words stand out to you. If you don't know, Genesis 1 is basically a hymn or a poem of creation. Um, God making the world into a home for creatures like us to have, have a life and have a place to flourish with him. Um, it's beautiful, and it's, and it's patient. Um, so if you're up for it, um, please do close your eyes and, and just see the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came, and that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. And God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. 
And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. This, my friends, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In my other life, I teach history at a high school in Newport Beach, um, up in Orange County. I teach ancient and medieval history at a small Christian school. And because it's a small school, we're able to do things a little different. Our curriculum is a little different, but also we're able to kind of have moments in which we take a little more time than people normally are able to take in school. Time for our students to reflect on their education, their growth, their formation, their spiritual lives. And one of the really cool things we get to do is at the end of every year, with our seniors, we're able to sit down with them and have basically what is an exit interview. Uh, a staff member or a faculty member will sit down with a handful of different seniors one at a time and take some time to ask them about their last four years. If you can remember your high school experience, it's an interesting moment to ask that question. Graduation's like four days away, and we're like, but just one second before, before you run out the door, um, tell us what, what was difficult about your experience here? What was beautiful or transformative about your experience? What was frustrating about your experience? We ask a series of questions, and the responses, if you know teenagers and if they trust you, are incredible and candid and incredibly insightful. And, and they're the kinds of things that we'll record and then as a staff we'll just read and pray over those things as we move forward into the next year. And the last question I ask my seniors is this. I say if you were to look back at this moment from where you are and say something to incoming freshmen, what would you want to say to incoming freshmen as they start high school? 
And I get really interesting answers. One I remember is uh, one of my guys said, uh, I would tell them, be careful, it's really easy to become a switcher. And I said, what's a switcher? And he said, well, when you're on campus here, everyone's really nice and friendly. And, you know, the teachers pray at the beginning of class. And there's like this nice little affirming environment and everything. And it's really easy to be nice and Christian here. He goes, but as soon as I leave campus, it's like I flip a switch. And it's like I've become a different person. And me and my buddies talk different, laugh about different things, act different. He goes, and it's just so weird because then the next morning when we come back to school, we switch back. And he goes, and, and I didn't realize I was doing this over the years because I was kind of feeling both of those things. I didn't even think I was pretending. It was just easy to be this way here, easy to be that way over there. And he goes, but now as a senior, I'm like, who am I? Which one am I? And as a pastor, I was like, yeah, that'll preach. You know, like you could, <laughs> you could, you could ask that at the church, right? Easy to be a switcher. Another one, though, that stuck with me, stuck with me from last year was this one. It was a girl, and she said, I asked the question, what would you tell freshmen if you could tell them anything? She took a pause, and then she said this. She said, I would tell them not to be ashamed of their innocence. And I was like, Whew. I was supposed to be writing all these like, you know, answers down or whatever, and I just like stopped because it just like got me. She's like, yeah, I would tell them not to be ashamed of their innocence that growing up doesn't mean running away from goodness. And then I'm like still, I'm like forgot that I was supposed to be writing it down because I'm like, oh my gosh. And then she says, because you can't unsee what you see and you can't unhear what you hear and you can't undo what you've done. And I was like, man. And as you can tell, I've been thinking about that for the better part of a year. This was last spring. And I've been thinking, like, what is it about us that we convinced ourselves that to grow up, to be mature, is to get over that, is to get over your innocence, is to get out there and to get edgy and to confront realities and dark things and stuff like that in order to be able to prove that you're grown up too, that you're not, you're not prudish, you're not staying at home with mom and dad, that, that you're not just some Christian goody-goody whatever. But what is it about us that we convinced ourselves that to be mature was to no longer be good, was to no longer have any innocence left? I thought, that's, man, that's crazy that we all kind of feel that on some level, that, that mature and adult have come to mean dark, cynical, ironic, crass, unserious, mocking, whatever. And I thought, man, that's crazy. How did we get there as a people, as a culture? She's a Christian girl talking about life at a Christian school. I'm a Christian pastor talking to Christian people. How did we get to that place? Well, one of the ways I think we got to that place is we forgot how the story begins. And as you heard in the beginning, I don't know what phrases or what things emerged as you were listening, but one of those things that might have emerged was, and God saw that it was good. In our minds, in our culture, we think goodness is weakness, it's childish, something to grow up out of and leave behind. In the scripture, goodness is fullness, it's strength. It's the harmony of God and his creation. Goodness is obedience. When God says, let there be light, light obeys by coming into existence. Goodness is everything we're supposed to have. There's no accident that God has Genesis 1, the very first words he gives humanity about himself, his reality, 
his creation. He has it there even though he knows what happens next. He has it there even though he knows we grew up on the other side of the fall. He has it there, and he has it there patiently, as you heard when I read. It can be hard to focus. Usually at the beginning of the Bible, you're reading app or whatever. You kind of you cruise through that when you're brushing your teeth. The guy's reading it to you. You're like, yeah, that's nice. But God knows, man, you got to linger over this. you got to remember that the deeper magic, the truer story, the more original word is goodness, not evil. And so I think there's something in us that needs to just take some time, Pastor Tim's word on Monday, you know, to just listen to what the Scripture actually says and to value and fix our thoughts on things, on goodness. Maybe the word that you'll get this year will be goodness, to fix your thoughts on that. When I think of goodness... And things that are good, the first thing I think of is my kids. You know, they're not with me right now. They're with my wife. They're actually camping at San Clemente State Beach, not very far from here. Uh, it was a little cold, and they were a little whatever. And so I was like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> I'll see you in just a bit. Um, I think of my oldest. My son is, my, my oldest son is John. He's five years old. John Wolf Woods. It gives him options. You give him a normal name up front. You give him a weird name in the middle. He can choose. He doesn't have to. You bury the lead, you know. If he wants to go with it, cool. If it's embarrassing, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Um, but John is good. My son is good. He has this heart that is good. He's enthusiastic about life and about people. He likes to talk to people. He wants to be friends with everyone he sees. He's excited to learn things. He's sensitive. He can tell if something's off, and he'll, he'll be the first one to give you a hug. If he sees, like, mom and dad hugging, he's going to come in. It's going it's to be a hug around the legs just to make it all work, you know. <laughs> John is good. The Lord made him good. But then John has to go to kindergarten. <laughs> and, uh, and as a dad, I can be a helicopter dad, no lie. <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't know about kindergarten. That's like the wild, you know. That's not my home, you know, what's out there, right? And I know a little too much about the world. So I'm like, I don't know, that's the world out there somewhere. Even if it's a Christian school, it doesn't matter. That's the world out there. And so uh, parents do funny things. We do like this, before kindergarten starts, you do like this play date where all the kids get together to like meet each other and hang out. And then the parents get together to like make sure you're not weird. That's basically what we're doing. And so we showed up at this like pregame thing, and I'm like sizing up the dads. I'm like, I don't know if I trust anyone here. I don't like anyone here. And I'm like, you know, I'm judging everyone. I'm doing all sorts of things you're not supposed to do as a Christian. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know about your home. I don't know about your kid. I don't know about this scene, you know. And after 15 minutes, like, it's all good, man. We're laughing. Everybody's normal. It's, the kids are playing, having a great time, talking to some dad, you know, and it's all, it's all cool. But about 25 minutes in, I look over, all the kids are running in one of those like whirly go-rounds. There's got to be a better word for that, but whirly go-rounds. And they're running over there, and my son's running. Everybody's happy, laughing, whatever. I mean, this kid who's a little bit taller than my son gets there first with all these kids. My son's running, all the joy in the world in his face. And the kid turns around, stiff arms him, literally knocks him down and says, we don't want you here. And I'm like talking to this dad, and I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, mm. and um. I'm not going to tell you the kid's name. The kid's name's Owen. <laughs> you don't live up there. You don't know this kid. It's not your Owen. And I didn't know his name was Owen yet, but <laughs> I wanted to find out. Um, and so, and you don't know this about me either, but I'm a pacifist, pretty committed to the 
to the nonviolent Christian way. I know that's weird. Um, and yet, in my mind, I was like, for a moment, I was like, I want to walk over to Owen, pick him up, and throw him into the sun. That's what I want to do. I just want to end all this. Because I saw this look on my beautiful son's face. He's confused. He's like, what's happening? And I just, I just like, the world just showed up and, like, tried to knock some goodness out of my kid. I was like, this is not good, you know. And, you know, he went to kindergarten. I'm not a psychopath. But I was just like, oh, man. And I think about that, and I think about that high school girl. How many things between 5 to 18 happened to someone that tries to knock the goodness out of you, that tries to take some, just a little bit of lack of self-awareness joy and make you a little bit aware that it's not all working all the time? How many things for a kid growing up happens to a person that tries to take a little bit of that goodness, a little bit of that innocence away? And then forget that. How many things between then and you? How many things have happened to anybody in this room that have tried to knock a little bit more of that goodness away from the heart? If you're like me, at some point, you give up and you get mean in order to make it. My high school experience was very different. I go dark in order to make it. I become the nasty person or the mean person. Stay away from this person. Why? Because so much goodness got knocked out of my heart that at some point my heart was like, if we're going to make it, we're going to have to get cold. So something happens to us and it keeps happening to us. And we react to it in different ways. And one of the things we do as we get older and older is we start to rationalize it that to lose goodness is, is somehow good. And this is what we do. We say, well, I don't regret the things that I did or went through because they made me the person I am today. Uh, it's all part of the journey. You know, look, life's tough, and at some point you've got to deal with that, and you've got to deal with it, and you've got to deal with it, and you've got to grow up. We, we get the adult version of rationalizing why it's okay that the world, the flesh, and the devil took more goodness from us, and sometimes we gave it away. We begin to tell ourselves, hey, that's just the way things are. In order to be a person in this world and actually make it, it is what it is. But again, if you know your Bible, that's not true. The world, the flesh, and the devil, when evil or sin or something comes in your life, whether it's ex expected and received or it's accidental and unfair, Evil, when it comes into someone's life, it makes you more confused. It doesn't make you wiser. It doesn't make you more mature. It sends you into habits that you get locked into for decades of your life. In the scripture, the person who struggles with those things and gives into those things becomes something the scripture calls a fool, who thinks they're wise because they're worldly, but is not wise in the way of the Lord, which is purity and innocence and goodness. But we started to convince ourselves that to be wise and mature and, and in this world and just make it, you just got to deal with it and it's no big deal and no regrets. I'm, I don't, I'm not a kind of person who looks back, you know, it is what it is and we all make mistakes and whatever. And the church does it too. We use language that's perfectly fine when we say we're broken and we're broken and we're broken. And there's another way of using broken that's saying that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is and I don't expect much different because the world's broken and I'm broken and we're all broken. And so let's just stay broken and call it wisdom. Let's stay broken and say, well, you know, I've lived some life. 
But that's not what the scriptures say. The scripture says the strong person is the righteous person who held on to goodness and didn't let it go. Or when it was trying to be taken from you, fought back and pleaded for the Lord's mercy and help. That a strong person is like that person in Psalm 1, planted by those streams of living water, that is not easily shaken. A good person, a person who's holding on to the Lord, holding on to what's good and not letting it go is someone who's strong, not someone who's weak, not someone who's naive. That's the person the Lord's called us to be. The reason I know this is because that's Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. In Hebrews, if you got the scripture, you could throw it up there. But in the book of Hebrews, many of you probably know this, it talks about Jesus as our high priest. And it says that he was tempted in every way as we are. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He did not sin. Goodness is stronger than sin. Goodness is when you don't give in to temptation. Goodness is when you stand and you don't cave in. I'd cave in again and again and again and just be like, I'm just broken, it's just the way it is. You know what, but I'm also kind of savvy. I'm also kind of worldly wise. I also kind of have an edge to me, a little bit of interest, right? a little complexity. We don't even believe in a good hero. It's got to be an anti-hero. It's got to be someone with darkness. We don't even believe real people could be good. We don't even think that's a thing, and we're not even interested in that character in any movie or any story. We're like, that's boring. That's banal. I don't even believe that. Instead, what we believe in is darkness. And yet my Lord and my Savior, he faced all of the same darkness, all of the same world, flesh, and devil, and yet he didn't cave, he didn't buckle. And that's why he's our Savior, because he has now given us the ability to follow him into that place, that heavenly place, to go boldly into that throne of grace, even though we buckled a long time ago. Goodness is Jesus. Jesus is goodness. Goodness is stronger than evil. Goodness is when you don't give in to temptation, when you don't give in to lust, when you don't give in to greed, when you don't give in to anger. It's stronger. It's the deeper magic. It's Genesis 1. What God has made is good. Jesus is good. And it's not enough to just say, that's good for Jesus. But that's not us. We're the broken sinners who are not like Jesus. That's true at first. But then you start getting saved. And getting saved isn't isn't going to heaven one day. Getting saved is becoming like Jesus. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. So many of us have given up. Say, man, I lost my innocence so long ago. I lost any goodness I had. It ain't coming back, and I'm not going to be even thinking it's possible. Get saved. Because Jesus will restore your goodness. He will restore innocence. Man, I can't even believe the, the years that have gone on, how, I, like, the Lord has given me a new heart. Like, everything's true. I, I read it. I know the verses. But it's really weird when it happens. I used to, it doesn't matter. But, like, like I have these, like, I have this, like, soft, gooey little heart. It's, like, really not, like, ugh, you know. Like, I got this, like, this, like, like, if I hear a baby crying somewhere, I'm like, I want the, where's the babies? I want all the babies. Where are the babies? Like, is it possible for a guy to have baby fever? We already got three kids. But if there's a kid, if you find a baby out there on the road, I'll take the baby. If I'm in Target and I see a kid laughing, I'm like, I get this dumb, it's probably scary grin on my face. Parents are like, you know, we got to get away. I'm like, oh, the beauty of childhood. You know, I'm like, 
the things I feel and think about the world and about people, about, about us, they're not the things I used to feel and think about the world. Like the older you get in the Lord, the more childlike you get because he starts to restore your goodness. It's incredible. It doesn't line up, and it's an incredible thing to experience year in and year out to be like, I'm becoming more like a child. Every year, I want to be up to less things, and I want them to be good. Every year, I want to be up to less things, and I want them to be good. I'm not interested in the dark stuff I used to be in. I'm just, it's not even interesting to me. He's changed my desires, my heart. I like things that are good. I like stories that are good. I like things that are about people and their beauty. Even though we are all broken, there is beauty there because everything God made is good. Everything his hands have touched and shaped and formed is good. So I can say with confidence, I could look at any one of you, and if I spent, you know, pastors, two hours talking to you over coffee. It's never short coffee with a pastor. If I spent two hours, I would be like, this person's the most amazing person in the world. And I would feel it. I would believe that. I would know that. I would just be like, I would see this child of God. I don't know what you see when you come to church, but I see goodness. I see people being saved, the restoration of innocence into our lives. I see things that probably many of us gave up on the possibility of ever really changing or having things brought back that we thought we lost a long time ago. I just see something here in what God is doing in our lives. You know what they say about the saints, the fathers and mothers of the church, the saints of the church who make it into their 80s and 90s walking with the Lord? They become more and more childlike in their appreciation for simple good things. It's like the hobbits, man. Be a hobbit. Good food, good stories, good garden. We don't need all that stuff out there all the time. We don't need to get involved. <laughs> we don't need to get crazy. Ah, we don't need that. We're just like, oh, man, why don't we just sit down, have some, it's just tobacco, have some tobacco, you know? Like, let's just relax, you know? Let's have third breakfast. Like, that's called goodness. But here's the truth about hobbits, man. Hobbits are, are, are protected from the temptations of the world because they're up to good things. Whereas the people and the other kind of creatures in Middle Earth, they're like, ah, you know, everything for them is like war and death and now, you know. It's like people who've like made politics into their religion in this country. You know how it's like really difficult. You get all worked up about all sorts of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. And you're like, ah. Well, in, in some ways it means there's not a lot of goodness in your life because you're prone. The lack of goodness makes you thin. Bilbo says when he's carrying the ring after many years, this thing about power. He says, it feels like I've gotten thin, like I'm, I'm too little butter spread over too much toast. And the last few years, man, has been hard. Churches, it's been hard. People feeling things, can't even talk to family members. There's so much anger, there's so much pain, there's so much stuff. And it's because in large part, we just forgot to fix our thoughts on what is good. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 8, if you have it, classic verse. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
it's one thing to hear a sermon, guys, and to go to church and have beautiful worship and really rich fellowship. If the rest of the week you're listening and watching and, and acting in ways that are not that, you're giving up the game. If you're listening to people who are stirring up anger about other people and this kind of thing, you're giving up the game. Scripture says it's not, it's not good advice. It's a commandment. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and worthy of praise. The things that we do during the week, the habits, the way we spend our time, the things we read, the things we watch, the things we listen to. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you hear. Why would we think as Christians we can continue to see and hear and say things that do not honor the Lord, but somehow it'll work out. It'll square. It's been a tough few years. It's been a tough few years. But I think there could be a mercy in all of these things, these challenges, all this difficulty, all the lockdown, not lockdown, masks, everyone freaking out about masks, everyone freaking out about everything. It's been really tough, but I think there could be a severe mercy here somewhere. I grew up, uh, I got two older sisters. I grew up, we moved every few years. My dad worked for the FDIC. Um, it's not the cool government, it's just the bank. <laughs> I want to be like the FBI, um, but it's the FDIC. It's just insuring the banks. Anyways, um, but we got moved every three years. So I was born here at Mission Viejo, and then we lived somewhere else every three years, Oregon, Colorado, Connecticut, New York, some other stuff. And, and when we were in um, Colorado, you know, especially coming from California, it's like, oh, there's some weather here. Like every afternoon, there's a thunderstorm, lightning, and this is nuts, and I just loved it and whatever. But it also was one of the earliest times in my life in which you could genuinely have the power go out, and it would stay out. And I remember this one time, I was probably 12, my sisters were like 14, 16, we're all just a couple years apart. I remember one time, we were in Colorado, and this thunderstorm comes through, knocks the power out. We're all in our separate rooms. You probably experienced this at some point in your life, power goes out in the house. A minute goes by, you're like, ha, ha, ha. You hear someone, <laughs> what? Hmm? What's going on? Hmm? A few minutes go by. You're like, all right, all right, all right. What's, hey, dad, you, you, you on it? What, you know, 10 minutes go by. All right, everybody's out of their room. What are we doing? We're looking. We're a bat. How come we don't own batteries? Don't we go to Costco every week? Why don't we have batter batteries in the house? Flashlights, but no batteries? You discover things about your preparedness as a family. It's not good. And then someone goes, do we own, I think we own candles. Do we own candles? And someone discovers that we do have scented candles. They're scented, but they're there. And so I remember, like, we ended up at, like, the living room table. Me and my sisters, man, we don't hang out. We're all, like, whatever. Um, we're all around the table. We got candles. We got a flashlight. My dad strings a flashlight up from the ceiling. It looks like we're, like, being interviewed by cops. I'm like, what? Whatever. And so you can see. And so we're like, ha, now, now what do we do? TV's off. I don't know how to be a person, right? The TV's off. I don't know what's going on. Uh, this is before phones, so I can't even play that card. But... I mean, there were phones in the world. You just, you know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> Before phones. Uh, send help. Um, no, there was phones. Uh, <laughs> so we gather on the table. And at one point, one of my, my sister, Cheryl, she goes, should we play Yahtzee? She said kind of like angry, like, don't we have Yahtzee somewhere? And I'm like, Yahtzee? Yeah, that's a good game. And one by one, all the classics came out, my friends. All the classics. You could probably name them with me. Sorry, Parcheesi, Chinese checkers. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but there it is. Um, 
and Yahtzee, which is a total game of chance, but I'm amazing at it. So I don't know how to <laughs> square that circle either. Um, and so we play all these board games. Oh, I, I left one out. If you have any taste, you know what I'm talking about when I say hungry, hungry hippos. That's right. Hungry, hungry hippos. Things got a little dark for that moment. We're like, ah, my father's like breaking us plastic hippo. How does it work? I'm like, you already, the gate's over, you won. He's like, ah. I want to say two hours go by and we're having the time of our lives. Family at a table, laughing, looking at each other in the face, you know. And then something happened. The lights went back on. You know, you get a little flicker. You can hear the, the refrigerator, you know. TV comes back on, finding its way through the snow. I don't know if you remember snow. Yeah. And a few minutes, dad sits down in front of the TV. Mom goes off to their sisters in their rooms. And me back to my room. Just like that. And I remember to this day, the reason I'm even telling you this, I remember this to this day. The moment those lights came on, for a half second in my heart, this is what I felt. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I bet you every single person in my family felt that. Oh, no. It's over. For that moment, for two hours, a family that almost never was around the table for a meal anymore. A family that never played games together anymore. We did that when I was little, when every vacation was a family vacation, when every meal, when you didn't, have, when you didn't know you had options because you were five, and it was great. But you get older, and you don't hold on to what's good. What if COVID, what if all this crazy stuff is like the lights are off. Restriction, you can rage again, you can, you can fight everything if you want. Or you could say, hmm, this is interesting. I remember like, I was getting full like Little House on the Prairie. I was like, Pa, we're gonna need to go shoot something. How are we gonna feed the family? <laughs> what, what, if, what if all these difficulties, I'm not trying to minimize that, I know if your church is like my church, there's a lot of sick people right now. There's a lot of people maybe watching at home. But what if all these difficulties, what are these challenges are like when the power goes out and you have a moment, maybe it's a longer moment than you ever wanted, in which you can look at your life and you can say, what is good? What has the Lord given to me that is good that I need to hold on to? that I need to fix my thought. That's, that's worth saying, hey, family, can, can we come back here for a second? I wish, like, I love him, I, but I wish my dad had just said, uh, turn the TV back off. Hey, can we just come back here for a second? This was good. I love you guys. I miss you guys. A couple years, many of you aren't even gonna be here anymore, right? This is good. Can we, can we do this once a week? Can we, can we hold on to this? Not blaming him. I, you know, I didn't think of it. We all ran out of the room. <laughs> we ran back to our little corners. But what if in this season, this moment, maybe the Lord has started to show you, hey, guys, church is good. It might even 
necessary and vital. You have people in this room that love you. You have a pastor that loves you. He's faithful to the Lord and his word. That's good. This place is worth holding on to. There's people in your lives that could be tough, but they're also good. The Lord's given them to your care. Maybe you're not super nice to them all the time. Maybe you're not super patient, but you could be. They're good. What if, what if in this season, however long it takes, what if we have a moment, an opportunity to fix our eyes, our thoughts, our habits, our time on things that are good, things that are from the Lord? Not to lose those if we lost them before, but to hold on to them and hold on to them tightly. I ask you to consider that. I ask you to consider that Genesis 1 is not just some once upon a time, a long time ago before things got real. But that revelation says the same thing. Behold, I make all things new and everything he makes is good. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the little good things in all of our lives, even in the midst of so much hardship, Lord. I pray we would be impatient with evil and patient with goodness. I pray we would be uninterested in greed and lust and anger and be interested in kindness, gentleness, the strong things that made you who you were. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here who feels like they lost that goodness so long ago, or even worse, that it was taken from them, I pray you would speak a word of healing over them, that to become a Christian, to put our faith in you, is to be born again, my child. Goodness is in the hands of God, where God is. Goodness can be restored. I pray, Lord, for all of us, however old we are, we would have a moment, even just this morning, but also a moment just in the first couple weeks of this new year to take some time, reflect on your goodness, and reflect on the gift of the good things you've given to us, and help us to hold on to those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.